Davinka Britson is going to do in the 1500. He has time to look behind him. 20 years of age, and he is on top of the world. For coming down for a maiden national crown, Cornwall is a champion. Belarus is what is worse, or has he? Has he got anything left? Belarus trying to get there. Kipchoge the junior is there. Belarus is trying to get to the line. Kenya wins it. Kipchoge takes. Vivian Chariot's turn, and what a proud moment for her and the Kenyans. The first woman from her nation to take the 5,000 meter title. Vivian Chariot in Greenland. On the outside, Ollie Hall of Australia comes. Jake Whiteman has just spent. It's going to be Chariot and Hall. Who's going to get it? It's going to be Australia. The gold. Kiwi middle distance runner Samuel Tanner is well known to those who dig their 1500 meter running. A 331-1500 meter guy, where he finished sixth the 2002 Commonwealth Games. Tanner is a previous collegiate 1500 meter record holder over 1500 meters. Fresh off a semi-final appearance at the Budapest World Champs 1500 meters, we sat down with Tanner for a deep dive into his training, college days, thoughts on Jakob Ingebrigtsen, and more. This episode is brought to you by spikes.au. Explore spikes.au for Australia's largest range of replacement spikes and enjoy fast and free delivery this track season. Check out the show notes for the link. This episode is also brought to you by Fractal. Fractal Headwear was born in Australia and is proudly trusted by over 50,000 happy customers. Their focus is premium performance headwear designed for a community that loves to get outside and run. Lastly, if you enjoy this episode, it would mean a lot if you press subscribe and take the time to leave a five-star review. This way, we can keep punching out yarns like this for many years to come. Samuel, it's awesome to have you on Runners Tribe. I think we did a written interview maybe once with you, but it's um, awesome to have you here. And um, you know, I've been wanting to catch up since you started dropping such fast 1500s. Well, thanks for having me, mate. It's always a pleasure to be um on your little prestigious podcast so um yeah we're looking forward to it nice man the um you're back home i presume you had a you had a huge season from the sounds of it you like went to obviously a long time in europe and it culminated in worlds and i think you raced in zurich just after that but uh you're back home right now i presume yep yeah back home in papamoa um mighty bay of plenty geordie beamish always says that um that the bay that my bay is the second best bay because he's in the hawks bay and i'm in the Bay of Plenty, and and I, I don't agree. Um, he, he's wrong in that sense. That's why he left, and I'm still here. And for those Aussies and and Americans and Europeans and blah blah, that have no idea where that is. Is that North Island, South Island, or or whatnot? Yeah, yeah, North Island. We're both on the east coast, um, but the Bay of Plenty is slightly more north. Um, it's about two hours southeast of Auckland. Um, I, I feel like most people would re- recognize maybe where Auckland is um, as a reference point, but yeah, it's, uh, so. it's nice. Yeah. In America, it'd take you probably 40 minutes to drive from Auckland to um, Papamoa, but we don't have straight roads. <laughs> and I, I take it you love home, hey? Like you're the sort of guy that just loves getting home and after a long yeah. season hanging out at home. Yeah, mate. I, I, I really recharge at home, eh? Like I think uh, after four months away, my wife said to me the other day, she's like, you really are a homebody, eh? I'm like, yes, I miss kite surfing. So I went kiting last night with my dad. I'm like, 
I was planning on doing like 25 minutes because I'd already run and gymmed and so I was like, oh, I'm pretty tired. Did 25 minutes. I was like, nah, stuff this. I'm having way too much fun. So I went like, we, we, we kind of ended up doing like 15K on the water, which was so much fun, but um, ended up being just like an hour of hour of kite surfing, which is just epic. Nice. Is that, is that pretty, is that like kind of pretty good for your upper body? Like, is it, it doesn't, I've never done it, but it doesn't look very easy. Like, I'm pretty sure I would drown. Uh, no, well, it's, it's kind of like my dad describes it as having like a jet ski attached to you at all times. And so it's like, you can use the horsepower when you want to. Um, But yeah, by the end of the session, I, I haven't been in the gym in a while. So I did like some pull-ups and stuff in the gym yesterday, just kind of to get back into the swing of things. Um, and by the time I finished kiting my arms, I like could barely hold the bar. I was just like, oh, I'm actually far cooked now. I'm like, There's no way I could do another hour of kiting. But um, yeah, no, it's a pretty cool sport. And surprisingly, your heart rate's quite high. And so I've, I've done a couple of sessions earlier on in the year before I left. And uh, and my heart rate was like averaging 150, 155 yeah. um, for two hours of kiting. And so you're like, it's actually an aerobic sport, really, which yeah. is kind of kind of exciting but then you get the um kind of range of movement um stuff as well which is adds to the benefit i think sounds like a pretty pretty good way to cost train hey yeah, yeah. i think it's the new it's the new uh elliptical or new alter yeah. g I mean, uh, because instead of the alter g hold, taking the weight off you you just like pulling up from the from the waist <laughs> next thing we'll see inga britson out kite surfing yeah, I know. Actually, fun fact, uh, Inga Britson is already copying me on one thing because I rode motorbikes and stuff. And uh, and then I talked to him after Diamond League final. He's like, oh, I just bought a new motorbike. I was like, what did you buy? Like a, a Honda 250 or something dumb. And he's like, nah, BMW S1000 RR. And I'm like, holy crap, mate. That's like a proper bike. It's a, like a 200 plus horsepower motorbike. I'm like, freaking this guy's crazy. But um. Yeah, so I was like, oh, there we go. He's copying one. Yeah, earning those sweet Nike dollars, I guess. I take it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm buying the second hand bike, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, classic. But on Inga Britson, quick, what's it What's it like hanging out with him on the in Europe and on the tour? Like, is he is he a cool guy or is he sort of, does everyone put him on a pedestal and treat him differently or do you treat him the same as like you'll treat kind of an Aussie that you meet, you know? uh can't be the same as an aussie i feel like kiwis and aussies have a special click um you know me and stewie hung out for a day after the brussels um 2k and we're just cracking up and chatting <laughs> shit all day long um which is good fun but yeah he he's an interesting character um i i really get along with, i think i get along with him well um maybe he doesn't like me i don't, I don't really care but um <laughs> He, he's a cool dude and i think the more you get to know him the more layers you like open up and so people a lot of the time in the media and stuff give him a hard time for being such a robot i'm like man he's a robot because he's so invested in a sport but flipping heck, he's actually like the more you chat to him i'm like the cooler he gets i'm like this is kind of cool i didn't i didn't realize this side of him was was there so i, I when i found out he rode motorbikes i was like there's a whole nother level of respect that that went into that day eh? i was like bye up man that's cool Oh shit! Hey, quickly, just to the world champs. Um, I remember we chatted with Nick Willis like years and years ago about his career, and he was saying that the semi-finals of a major champs, the fifteen hundred semi-finals, was like one of the hardest places you can find yourself. You know, because um, it's just so, so much, so many hungry athletes who are just desperate to get in that final. They're all like so, so good. 
and you found yourself in a, in a world champ semi-final in Budapest. Um, obviously, you got run out of that semis, but, you know, how was that experience? Do you agree with what Nick was Nick was saying back, you know, those years ago? Oh, yeah. He, uh, every now and then I get a message from him or before a race or after a race, and he gives me some sort of advice or encouragement, and I'm just like, far out. <laughs> the more I think about his career, the more I respect him, you know, and you're just like, that is so impressive. Um to just achieve half of what he achieved and the longevity and stuff. I was just, oh, it blows my mind. But yeah, it's a, it's a pretty difficult position to be in, you know, semi-final, especially this year. Like I'm not, I haven't been a student of the sport for too long. So I would have liked to know what it's been, what it has been like in, in previous years, but I'm sure this is one of the fastest years in history. And, and it, oh, it, it's, it was just so hard to make that final, you know, everyone in the final deserved to be there because they were all exceptionally fast and they all potentially, could have run under three thirty if the race went that way that day, um, you know, because I I know I was, I was in sub three thirty shape or three thirty flat shape, um, if the race, you know, presented itself in that way, and so yeah, I was, I'm just still a little grommete, and so I'm I'm learning to not make stupid mistakes like I did in the semi, but um, yeah, like we had a bit of a debrief with the coach the other day, and went okay, we identified what's wrong and where we went wrong, and hopefully we can learn from that and not make the mistake in Paris, but yeah, it's a pretty Budapest was, was good fun. Um, definitely probably the most pissed off I've ever been because I knew that physically I was in, um, good shape to, to at least make the final. And that was one of my big goals for the season. So a little disappointed to do that, but at the same time, you can't be disappointed when, you know, you're ranked top 15, top 10 in the world. And, and then also competing against some of those guys, um, week in, week out throughout the season. Yeah. And I guess the Olympics is like literally just around the corner. Hey, I mean, that must be just such motivation for you to just get back to it at home and, and put in a big base and get ready. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I definitely needed a couple of weeks after the season to just like reset emotionally, spiritually, physically. I was pretty stuffed. Um, but the wife came over to Hawaii and we went surfing for like four days and then we did some hikes and stuff. And so now I'm like, oh yeah, I'm actually pretty ready to hit this like Olympic campaign pretty hard. So um, no, I'm I'm excited. And I think, you know, I've, I've just kind of been like so analytical of every single one of my races. I'm like, how do I keep ballsing this up? And so I'm just hoping that like next year I apply all the knowledge actually, um, as well as yeah. the physical component. Yeah, it depends how you define ballsing it up. Hey, like I'm, I'm pretty sure the majority of people who try and make make it, you know, become elite 1500 runners would love to be in your shoes. So um, <laughs> um, in terms of like just the kind of, we've already touched on the depth of, of global 1500 meter running, but you know, what's it like, what's it like just being around like the Stu and Ollie and obviously Jay Whiteman and Josh Kerr and in the Inga Britsons. And I've just named a few, but it just feels like there's, you know, no longer is it dominated by, uh, Kenyans, Moroccans, you know, you know, Ethiopians, and there's just—is is there a belief now, you know, um, that that you can, if Inga Britton's done it, and Josh and Jake's done it, that then anyone can do it? Yeah, it's such a difficult one, eh? Because I think, yeah, de de uh, de definitely, it's been a like a belief and mindset change for I think a lot of the Europeans and us, like little runs down on this side of the world, but. Um, yeah, I think the just the training 
the shoes, everything has just accumulated and gone, actually, no, we can compete with these guys. Um, and I think it's, you know, a couple of key people who, who are just willing to send it a little bit. And, um, you know, Ingebrigtsen is a big factor in that. And and so he's changing the sport in a good way. And, you know, so he's really good for the sport. And guys like Ollie, um, you know, just they're just guys who are willing to charge. And I think that was like the same as like back in John Walker's day. Like there was guys who just ready to hammer. And so yeah. there's probably that little medium era where people just like were all like, oh, I've got the best kick. I can, I can tactical, tactically run really well. And, and yeah, that's so cool. But. You know, I think that's probably one of the reasons why the Kenyans were so good then is because guys were training to be tacticians and the Kenyans were never tacticians. You know, yeah. or the East Africans are never tacticians. They just want to run hard like people do now. And so I think that's probably um, changed the way Europeans and us guys have started training um, to just, yeah, so we can, we can run 329, 330 week after week, um, which is... Yeah, it's it's exciting, eh? Like uh, it means that I'm, you know, chasing guys like Nick Willis's New Zealand record every race throughout the season, or, or Walker's mile, like in every mile I run. And so it's and it also, you know, in some way makes it a little easier to get because it's just like there's multiple opportunities in a year, not just like Monaco fifteen hundred, you know. So right, man. And it's like even from a fan's perspective, like I love middle distance running more than probably the average average person, but it's been years since I've got up at 2 a.m., you know, to to watch a race because I just, like, I don't want to wait till 7 a.m., 8 a.m. And, like, the way that Stu, you know, when he's at his best, right, like, the way he attacks those races, it's just, like, it's, it's just so it's just freaking awesome watching him attack him. And then Ollie, he's just so aggressive. And just seeing those guys just balls up and just, like, attack from the front and not sit in last or anything. And they're just, like, putting it on the line, not scared to blow up. It's just... It's really spectacular to watch, hey? Yeah, and it's cool to be a part of too because, you know, like I've kind of just, you know, like I'm I'm in the top group now, but I've only kind of just got there to the to be that, to be one of those guys in that level. And so I feel like this year I've still been kind of a grommet in that sense and it's kind of been cool to just like watch those guys, um, you know, do their thing. And so for me, like if I race a gold level race, that that's me. Like I'm that guy, I'm them and the gold levels and the silvers and stuff. But when it when it goes to the diamond leagues, I'm just like, actually, this is cool to be a part of and and to see it happening in front of me whilst I'm in the race. And um, yeah, the, everybody's hungry to run fast, which is which is so exciting. And um, you know, people people like pushing their bodies and pushing their own limits and um seeing what they're capable of and that just sets it up really well to to do so. So it's, right. yeah. I love it, and and it's it, it's made fifteen hundred meters really exciting for me to be a part of, and hopefully the fans enjoy it, eh? Yeah, oh, I reckon they do. I think also the fans, like a lot of Aussies, were pretty stoked for you. I reckon with the the medal at Com Games, and you obviously look pretty stoked too, hey? Like you crossed that line with a huge smile and had a bit of a celebration. Is that the highlight of your career? Do you think so far? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Especially because I think I was probably. Like in my head, I was like, oh, I'm probably like in 332 high shape or 333 low. And then to run like 331.3, I was like, what just happened? I just ran faster than John Walker, you know, like Sir John Walker. And, oh, you know, so there's there's almost like that level of prestige that I just like, did I really just do that? Like, and, you know, people like, oh, a lot of athletes get disappointed with sixth. And I'm like, mate, 
Six is freaking mean. You're at the Com Games and you run a 1500 and it's the most competitive 1500 ever. And, you know, like your mate from across the ditch just won the freaking thing. Like be stoked for him, be stoked for yourself. And so it was, it was pretty cool, especially that Ollie won it. I, I was just like, yeah, he deserves to win it. Like that guy works so hard. And, um, you know, I hope cranks. he can get back from this, you know, um, athletic, his pubic injury that he's suffering at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you just you just brought up Sir John Walker. Uh, I think you met him like six months ago, and obviously, I think his mile record, um, man. If I'm if I stuff this up, I think it's like three forty nine oh eight, and you've yeah, run nine fifty one. Is that right? Yeah. Um, so it's like you're you're pretty close, but there aren't that like you're not in America anymore. There aren't that many mile races. Like I guess you can try and get in Dream Mile or whatever. And but what I'm saying, my point is, there's only like one or two cracks a year. Hey. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be a um, ugh, it's, yeah, it's a hard, it's a hard flipping time to run, and and oh, I feel like sometimes I I think about it, and I'm like, man, he ran that in what nineteen seventy something or eighty early eighties, and and like leather shoes, probably on a really old rubber track or something like, or probably it's brand new rubber track, but seventy five, like, yeah, oh no, yeah, yeah. yeah. Holy shit! 75. Yeah. 75 is a freaking old record, man. And so I'm like, that it just shows the level of greatness that he was and is, I guess. But like, yeah, I met him a couple of months ago and and I um kind of chatted to him and he told me some stories about back in the heyday and you know, and he had some laughs and he, yeah, he's a he's he's a cool dude and and I think it would be a real honor for me to break his record while he's still alive um and so hopefully next couple of years i can get close to that and and um put a smile on his face when he sees that um sam tanner that he met a couple of years ago has, has has cracked his record finally you had to leave your hair out that day man have long flowing hair like walker and just yeah oh man okay tell me tell me if you agree i watched uh geordie run the the, the semi-final at worlds with the steeple and i was like i'm looking at walker right now yeah, he had his, his friggin' hair out, and I was like, "I'm looking at, I'm looking at John Walker run." I'm like, "Oh man, Jordy, please don't do the mile." <laughs> I'm like, yeah. "I saw a few people online um, saying the same thing. It's pretty funny, but he does. Hey, it's like, yeah. oh yeah, like oh. same, like almost the same running style too. Just like so tall and beautiful runner." <laughs> Hey, I want to just quickly flick to uh, you. You spent a little bit of time at college in uh, Washington, I think it was, and wanted to just quickly touch on that because um, I don't think you were there for the full full um, eligibility period of um, four years or whatever. But um, how 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 did that go, man? How was the experience? Um, why did you decide to to kind of call it quits and uh, turn pro early? It was yeah. Um, I start at the beginning. It was it was a funny journey for me because I kind of got into running pretty late so I, like properly into running quite late and so I was kind of like 17 when I started training um and I won national cross pretty quick and a bunch of like colleges reached out and like or college coaches reached out on Facebook messenger and I thought they were like scammers I'm like what are <laughs> these like what are these old guys messaging me asking me to come to America and like offering me like scholarships I'm like no I'm not what are you crazy and so I didn't know this was a thing. And then I um, asked my coach and a couple of the mates, um, like Nick Moolah and Isaiah and stuff and Theo Quacks. And I was like, is this, boys, is this a thing? Like, like yeah, I mean, 
And so I talked to them about it, started learning about the NCAA, got excited, went over, um, chose Washington, um, which was like, super exciting. Um, so pretty much Andy reached out to me after he moved from Oregon to Washington um, and offered me a scholarship. I came and visited, um, loved it and learned a bit about his reputation and, and was pretty excited to be a part of that program. Um, loved the two years there. I got super fat the first year. I, I put on the freshman 20. So it was like, I got from like 60 to 70 kilos. Um, <laughs> and, and like at the time I was probably like 59 kilos back then. And, and then I went to 69 kilos. And so I, Oh, I came 232nd at National Cross and I was like, to be honest, struggling with food a little bit. I was like, oh man, I, I can't, I can't like eat as much as I usually eat. Cause in New Zealand I eat heaps, but I also, you know, we'll go for two runs and a kite surf. And so just like, I just burn through calories. Like it's nothing. Um, And so I, I kind of, it was like, not a, like a, yeah, it was a little bit of a mental battle for me while I was over there um, for the, for the two years, but essentially um i did some cool things i broke a collegiate record indoors and then i went 334, to the hey. yeah 334 <laughs> um yeah which was also willis's indoor record which is kind of exciting um but then went to the olympics and my coach knew an agent and so we kind of he just reached out for me um to some companies and saw if there was anything available um because i had such a good bond with my coach from high school craig kirkwood and um yeah he he's just we click really well and he's, there's good banter like it, it's good kiwi aussie style banter you know like you could turn up to training he'll chat some talk and you're just like oh yeah okay whatever coach like and then he's just like he's ready to throw you under the bus at any point and nice. in a good way and, and so it, we just have a really good relationship um and still to this day is the same but um yeah I, I i loved andy as a coach and i love the team but I, essentially I had uh, three more years of study. There's kind of a couple of reasons why I ended up leaving three more years of study um, to, or in the U S or two years in New Zealand plus one more. Oh no, sorry. Two more years in the U S um, and then one in New Zealand to get like registered for whatever degree I got or three years in New Zealand for a full degree. And so I was like, oh, I'm just going to come back to New Zealand. Um, I'm lucky enough to have a prime minister scholarship now. And so I can study part-time um, which suits me really well um, living pro-life in Europe and, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that was kind of the re first reason. The second reason I was um, really keen to get married. I, I had the most beautiful girl back home. Um, and I thought that two years overseas, I'd be like, oh, it's either going to make or break the relationship. And I was, and I was like, oh, nah, I left and I'm like, this chick's so cool. Um, and so I, I knew I wanted to marry her. So I came back and got married. Um, and, the, and the third reason I was like, it'd be kind of nice to capitalize on good form and making some money. Um, yeah. That's how I did that, and yeah. Oh, good on you, man. Like, that's a pretty awesome answer, pretty transparent of you. So that's – when did you get married? Uh, January 22, after the Olympics. Nice, nice. Yeah, which was super cool. And we had a um, little venue up on the Coromandel too, which is like a little surf town where my dad grew up, um, or surf peninsula where my um my dad grew up. So it's oh, it amazing. Awesome. Hey, so – like just quickly prior to the age of 17 you hadn't really run much but you must have built an aerobic engine somehow what what were you doing your whole childhood i didn't yeah like i didn't really train too much i did cross country um like every year but it was just kind of like i'd go for a 
I thought it was like a 6K on the block, but it was actually only 4Ks. Um, so I was actually under training even then. And I was like, oh, I mean, but I'd pretty much go out and just like fart like for trainings um, like twice a week. And then I just play like touch rugby. I surfed heaps and heaps. Um, like in high school, I surfed before school and then played touch after school or something. And so there's all like these aerobic base like benefits that are coming from like a thousand different places. Um, and then I was strong from, you know, snowboard, like my had strong legs from snowboarding and skating and, and things. And so I was, I, I built up like a, I was pretty robust by the time I started training. And so I could, I was, Craig didn't give me much, but he just gave me enough to tune me. So I was started when I was 17, I was probably only running 30, 40 Ks a week. Um, when I was 18, I ran probably up to 50 Ks a week and 19 was like 60 to 60 to 70 or maybe 80 in the winter. But, um, yeah, it was, it's been a pretty quick progression to, to where I'm at now. Um, but yeah, it's, it was a definitely an interesting journey, not one that most kids get to do. Sounds like a pretty good childhood though, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Your sure. Your coach, Craig uh, Kirkwood, I uh, just want to jump into him a little bit because it sounds like an interesting guy and he's obviously, obviously you're a huge fan. Um, what, you know, what's his background, man? Does he, does he, co- has he coached a bunch of, um runners before uh what kind of philosophy training philosophy does he does he believe in all that sort of stuff um he he's oh i, I ck is a cool coach man because he's pretty chill and he, and he kind of looks at um coaching slash training as like an art and so it's it's not too much of a science he doesn't be like oh we've got to do double threshold because we need you to be this and this and this fit and but he just goes all right you need to be doing this and you need to work hard today. Take this day a little easier. Um, and so he's pretty involved in the whole process of like how I'm feeling, um, which makes you feel pretty valued as an athlete too. So mentally you're, you're quite switched on and in tune with your body. And, and so I think in the season it pays off as well because you're constantly listening to your body and what it's telling you. Um, but in terms of uh, background, Craig, uh, he got a university a scholarship, a running scholarship to university of oklahoma no oklahoma unit anyway it wasn't oac it was the other one um and so he did four years there and then went to went and oh let me spend another year there or two um enjoyed his time but i don't like i think he had a pretty average coach there at the time and so he's he's learned a lot through like what doesn't work you know so he's like okay this is too much this isn't Da, 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 da. then anyway he we went on to be um a marathoner half marathoner um ran a pretty fast 10 half and for well, i think he ran 212 or 213 in the marathon back then so that was in like 2000 so it was pretty quick um but he i think qualified for com games um for the for the marathon and then kind of got into um a coach coaching slash assistant role with kim mcdonald um, who oh, yeah. was a big dog in the agent kind of sphere um, in the early 2000s. Um, and that's how we met my now agent, um, Tom Ratcliffe. And so um, he's he was pretty well connected. And I didn't know this when I first started getting coached by him, but he'd essentially been around guys like Mo Farah, around guys um, like Noah Nying and, and all those guys who were like exceptional Kenyans. And he'd seen their workouts. He'd seen what they'd done. He'd seen what worked and what didn't. Um, and so I think all of those factors just accumulatively have turned him into like 
a really well-rounded coach without even being like a professional, like, I mean, he's actually done quali- some qualifications and stuff on it too, but um, yeah, it's just funny because he's like a little coach in New Zealand that doesn't have a massive elite group, yeah. but he's creates really elite athletes. Like he's got Hayden Wild, um, who's a triathlete and Hayden's number. Oh, I think he's second in the world this year for the World Triathlon Series, but essentially he's number one in the world. Like he's just an exceptionally good. Um, he came third in Tokyo for the um, Olympic distance um triathlon and he's just an animal and so craig just knows how to coach people to be animals and so that's what i want to be you know like i want to turn up to the start line and go oh, here comes sam he's an animal you know, like <laughs> and just you know so i'm like i'm getting there but i'm just like trying to be like steady at the same time i'm not blowing myself up but or dig myself into a training hole but um yeah it's yeah oh we just get along really well it's a good little trio um, and he's accumulated a couple of other athletes like Julian Oakley's training with us now. And he's a real valuable men- member to have when we're training. And um, yeah, it's, it's a pretty cool, pretty cool approach to, to training. And I was reading last year, you were, you were hitting about a hundred K weeks. Um, what do you, you know, kind of during this kind of build up period now, I presume you're in a base build up period now, right? But what, yep. what, sort of, what sort of mileage are you hitting at the moment? Um, well, I just started, so was probably a little low at the moment. It's probably, I did like 60K last week, um, but it'll probably be like 80K this week and then maybe 90 the following week. Um, I don't know, progressive. Uh, Craig will get me soon up to probably 120 and then we'll probably sit there for a while um, and then maybe a couple of weeks a little higher. Um, I don't know, actually, to be honest, he might get me a little higher than that. I'm, well, sometimes at the start of this, this time of the season, I'm always a little nervous because he could just like throw like 140 at you and you're like, oof, oh. like, okay. <laughs> um, but it's, it's actually like, he does it in a pretty easy way. So he's not doing massive single runs. He's just, he breaks it up with nice doubles. And um, yeah, like I'm not doing crazy workout mileage either. Like I'm not going to do like 20K in a workout. Um, it'll just be, you know, I might do eight times a K and, 3k warm up and a k walk call down and then a double in the evening and all of a sudden you're at 20k for the day and you're like oh sweet that was pretty easy way to do 20 you know um but yeah he's uh he keeps he keeps saying you're a man now sam you can you can handle it i'm like well okay like I'm not just a kid running 50ks a week anymore i'll probably end up running 150k a week you know like well, <laughs> but you know that's that's what those best guys are doing and i think that's what's going to be able to enable me to uh be competitive throughout all of next season um and so that's that's the key i think are you doing um any track work and you know high intensity stuff during those big week mileage weeks in your build-up phase or is it more just kind of eight one k's and you know thresholds and all that sort of stuff yeah lots lots of hills probably not so much on the track just yet like i think maybe some like tempo stuff on the track later on um probably like into early early New Zealand season stuff um, because we'll probably get ready to like, I'll probably pace like a 10 K or maybe race a five K or something. And so like, you got to be fit and kind of tuned, but you don't really want to tune too much. So I'll, maybe I'll jump on the track and do some like, like 12, four hundreds or something, 65s or 63s um, probably just in flats, but um, just short recovery stuff just to kind of keep the lungs hurting. Um, but yeah, we do lots of hills, um, lots of, just road sessions and so we, we we got a really cool um 
we've got two loops and CK's claimed both of them. Um, Craig Kirkwood, that's, we call him CK. Um, and he's got CK's hilly loops of death and it's friggin' the hardest hill loop ever. And you just do like a progressive, he just like says, all right, progressive run, three laps of the, it's about three point something K around. And it, you know, like if you're hammering it, it'll take you like my, I've got the Strava segment. Um, I took it off. I took it off Hayden the other day. I was stoked. Um, actually, he took it off on the day he landed in the country too. So he woke up with the, oh no. Oh no, his email. I was like, <laughs> sucker. Um, but anyway, I, I stole a Strava segment um, and it's about 10 minutes, something like low 10 minutes to do the loop. And the average is like three minute K. So whatever that ends up being the distance is. And the is loop is coming back down yeah. too, right? Like you're going up and then you're kind of looping. Yeah. So it's like a semi yeah, circle. It's a full, it's a full loop. So you you go, there's three hills that are about two to three minutes long each. Um, pretty decent gradient. Um, but then there's like a bit of a flat on the top. So it's like getting up the hill and then getting back on three minute Ks and then boosting the downhill to like get your average back down a little bit. Um, and so but also not trying to kill your knees at the same time, you know? So it's like, you, it's about being sensible, but also like trying to get your Strava times down. <laughs> and is the, is the hill part like fast or is it just kind of a steep hill that you're just grinding up? Oh, it's still pretty fast. Like it's fast enough that you can run like 315s up it. Oh, if, but you. you'll be like, you'll be like in the box running like 315s. Okay. Yeah. But, yeah. Like it's, I, I can't, I can't tell you gradients because I suck at them, but it's, it, no, it takes I, about three minutes and the, the hill is probably like four, 400, 500 meters long. Yeah. You know, yeah. so it's, awesome. you can, you can go up it pretty hard, um, yeah. but it's not like super steep. The, the end one, the end one is probably only like 150 meters, maybe 200 meters long and it's super steep. Um, but that's a little shorter, but man, that gets you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hey, just quickly, like back, a little bit back to college, but also on the training, like the main differences between, you know, the way you train at college and the way you train at home with CK, is there like, is it, is it vastly different or is it, or do you reckon it's like, it's just very, pretty similar with just minor differences? Oh, this is always a hard one because I think there's, there's such difference in like training environment, right? Like when I'm home, like I really enjoy grinding solo some days because um, it makes you just feel so tough. And I think it actually builds like character and builds your like mental toughness when it comes to racing and the ability to push on the front. Um, and so in terms of like training, I think it feels vastly different, but I don't know if it actually was because I think with, at UW, you always had guys around you to make the workouts feel easy, you know? And so the workouts, were, you know, you'd crack some crazy times in workouts on the track or whatever. And I'm like, Oh man, that was nuts. Like, how did I do that? But I think it was just because I had, teammates around me that to you know just drag you through um whereas I, I don't feel that at home but I think that's also because Craig just gives me like no rest ever and so Andy was a little more generous with the rest and I think um you know being in a team where you're probably one of the best guys like you recover quicker than everyone else but you still have to wait until the last guy is ready to go um and so I feel like Andy's style was probably more higher intensity with longer rest and Craig's probably like similar, similar volume still, but Craig would go um, less intensity with less rest. Um, sometimes he'll just go 
high intensity and low rest. <laughs> and you're just like, you're like, oh man, you're a dick. <laughs> but you know, I mean, it's like thirty seconds, thirty seconds, got a forty, you know, or forty-five seconds or a minute or whatever. Not, not really in the thing. No two-minute or three-minute rests. Yeah, like he, like I had um, eight times two minutes yesterday as I kept getting back into it, kind of workout because I'm my second workout back. Eight times two minute with sixty seconds rest. Um, but it was more like sixty seconds jog. Like it wasn't just like sixty seconds stop and walk. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like sometimes he does fartleks and it'll be like two fifties on and three tens off. I'm like, Craig, three tens off is not off. That's like still on. So it's just like you just end up running like eight k in like the uh, whatever. Yeah. However, twenty three minutes or something. You're just like twenty four minutes. You're like stuffed. <laughs> Oh, man. Um, That's yeah. Um, yeah. Hey, so if you had like a, a you know, an 18 year old come along and ask you, you know, someone that really loved their coach like you do with CK um, and everything's going well for them. They love their coach. They're winning races. They're getting stronger and fitter every month. Um, and then they get offered, you know, college scholarships and stuff like what, how do you advise these kids? You know, do you, what would you personally say to them? Uh, for me, it's pretty easy. I think I wouldn't have a Puma contract if I didn't go to the US. And so for me, that was one of the biggest um, like pulls to the US. Like I loved training with CK um, and I would have stayed if I could. But I think I saw, and I think it's getting better now in terms of like um, shoe companies, like kind of seeing kids from, you know, Australia, New Zealand, most, mo mostly Australia. Um, and actually giving them decent contracts now um, without going to the US. But when I went over, like nobody had got a contract. Like I think pro I probably could have got like five grand or something from a shoe company, but I'm like, that doesn't even pay for flights to Europe. You know? <laughs> so you're like, that's not, that's not an option at this point. And so I had to kind of, I went over to develop a profile um, and to build my personal brand a little better. And that that's exactly what it did. And so, you know, racing NCAAs, um, getting recognition and and letting those big dogs and agents and stuff see you. Um, also getting race experience was just like, you just can't get that in New Zealand. Um, and so my advice would be um, definitely plan to, to look at some colleges, um, but only go if you can like definitely see yourself improving there and getting valuable experience, because if you're not going to, get valuable experience or you're just going to get broken because a lot of kids go over and then get trained way too hard or get used as a hack. And then all of a sudden they're broken and their whole career is stuffed, whereas they could have stayed home and progressed better at home. Um, you know, like perfect example was me versus Abby Caldwell, right? She didn't go to the US. I did. We, we both have kind of gone up through the ranks of the, almost exactly the same. We both went to world juniors. Um, sorry. That's the pressure cooker. Um, cooking some pork ribs for dinner yes oh. um, uh, but anyway Abby you know we both did world juniors we both did um, world technical school cross country we like she came fourth or something and I came second and so we'd have just been like boom 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 and now we're both sponsored by Perma but two different avenues we've got there two different ways um, but the end result's kind of the same so I think uh, yeah the bit my best advice would just be like be be sensible and don't do anything that um makes you feel like unvalued because i think if you, your college coach doesn't value you you're gonna probably not come out as good as you could 
Um, whereas if you're a high school coach, um, you know, you've got something good going there, then, you know, potentially look at staying. Gotcha. I think the next one that I was curious about, I think you've already answered it, but like when guys like you kind of, you know, leave college, you know, there's, you see articles and things on online and it's like, blah, blah, you know, leaves college to turn pro. And like, I kind of always look at that and think, what the hell does that mean? Like, it, does that mean that all these people are earning, you know, piece of cash and they never have to work? Well, no, not never, but they don't have to work for years and years and years. I presume like it just it depends who they are. For guys like you, like you don't have a job, right? Like your your job is running, and you don't have yeah. to supplement yeah. with other things. Is that accurate? Yeah, yeah. If I got paid any less, I'd have to get a job. But um, gotcha. yeah. Like I'm probably yeah teachers kind of teachers wage. You know, like, <laughs> not, not 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 great at the moment. But I also signed when I was quite young. You know, so. I think there's the good thing is I've got a lot more um room to improve. Um, yeah. I think I think Puma are pretty happy with with how I'm going at the moment for what they're getting for their money. Um, yeah. but I think yeah, it's, uh, for me it's like if you're American or not. So if you're American and you go pro because you've had a mean year, you're gonna be making bank. But there's also like a lot of the contracts have clauses where you can have like reductions. So if you don't make the team, you get reduced. And yeah. it may not go back up or it may go back up after a X amount of period. Um, whereas for me, like I got reductions in my contract, but I, I don't, I don't see myself, you know, have, or I don't see Puma having to imply them because I like, I'm, I'm pretty much guaranteed to make an Olympic team. As long yeah. as I'm get this standard or get good enough points and stuff to get selected or get an invite, then New Zealand should send me. Um, and so there's no need for that to stress me out. So I guess that's, a, um, kind of a, a factor to consider but yeah if you're american uh, if you're american you get paid heaps if you're not you don't yeah maybe yeah. if you're european this some some countries in europe probably have decent contracts i don't know like it's kind of like topic that's not really talked about um as much as probably i'd like it to be but at the same time i'm like oh, i kind of like that it's not too talked about because then you can you know if you do win olympic medal or something you can be a baller and nobody knows <laughs> um, <laughs> Which is which yeah. is like kind of the dream, right? Like you're like yeah, yeah. subtly flexing. You're like, I got a flash watch, but <laughs> but yeah. I feel like you you're probably giving them a good good bang for their buck, you know, like with your personality and the way that you kind of love your country and you celebrate and you you know um you're not a you're not a kind of a shy athlete that is out is never gets shot with a camera. Do you know what I mean? Like feel like yeah. it's yeah. Yeah, no, it was it was kind of cool actually. I got a bit of camera time at World Champs after the heat. Like the camera followed me for a little bit. I was like, oh yeah, I like it. here we go, a bit of personality, a little poo kind of in there. And I was yeah, like, I yeah, that. yeah. That's um, what I mean, you know. Like the, there's those things that like some of those photos went pretty viral, you know, like they've seen by a lot of people and it can't be a bad thing. No, I think yeah, like like I, I get along with the Puma team really well. I really love their product, love their shoes and everything. And um so I'm just pretty stoked to be a part of that team. And I think it's like reciprocal, which is a cool thing. Like I feel quite valued. Like I go into the Puma house and stuff at World Champs and, you know, people come up to me and say hi and introduce themselves. And, and so it's, it's a cool little family that we got going. And um, yeah, like regardless of the money, like it's a, a brand that I'm pretty stoked to be a part of. And um, nice. I see that they're very, they will look after their athletes really, really well. So it's um pretty special. I wanted to finish up just with a quick question about kind of the mental side of things. You, 
in an interview last year, you stated that, you know, you may not be favoured in some of these major races. You're referring to a world championships at the time. Um, but I went into thinking I can win this race if I play my cards right. Um, and I just like, where does that belief, because, you know, I think the biggest thing holding back the people who make it and the people who really don't make it is that belief that you can step up with a bunch of these like massive big dogs who are just so damn good, like, you know, like you faced in the semifinal. And, and you actually, you know, I think the average human sitting there on that standing there on the start line thinking, shit, I'm going to get my ass kicked. Whereas you're standing there thinking, I can win this if I play my cards right. Where does that come from, man? Is that something that you were born with or is it just come from hard, the hard training or is it oh, something you work on hard, you know, to, to get yourself thinking positively like that? Um, I think it's a, like nature and nurture kind of thing, you know, like I think um, personality comes into it for me but there's but what surprises me all the time is you can have people who are quiet as who have that same mentality like yeah. i often like associate like loud personalities with confident personalities but that's not actually always true and so for me it is but you know you can be a loud person and, and be like real timid and be like oh actually i don't know if i can do that um but yeah so for me like my family have always been super encouraging so it's like family input that have kind of um and almost like oh this is such a tanner thing eh? like the the bay of plenty kind of know the tanners like as like pretty hardcore like extreme family who are like kind of low-key good at everything and so i'm like oh, sorry rest of bay of plenty um but like we you know they're like oh that's the tanners they're just good at, good at everything and so that kind of mindset has just like been like almost instilled in me like oh you're tanner you're good at this you know you're a tanner you can work hard you know, you, you do this, like I can, I can grind, I can, I can achieve good things and great things or whatever. So there's kind of that. Um, and like my mom and dad have always been like, yeah, you can, you know, what's stopping you from doing that? Um, so that's, that's built into it. Um, I also think that it's because like, I'm not, I'm not really scared of running. Like it's kind of in my head, it's kind of a silly thing to be scared of because I've done like such extreme sports that I'm like, that's way scarier than trying to face, you know, Jakob in a race. I'm like, it's like, there's all, what are you actually scared of? And so there's, it's almost like a, um, like a guy logic that goes through my head. It's like, oh yeah, uh, hold on. What actually, what's the worst case scenario? Like, oh, I blow up. Like, well, yeah. Okay. That's going to hurt, but it's just pain. You know, like <laughs> you can, you can just keep pushing and all you can do is like, what's, why would you let your brain get in the way of your physical capabilities? And so like, I've, I, I told someone on another podcast, like I've, I dropped in a, like a 14 foot vert ramp. I'm like, that shit's scary. You're, like, <laughs> you're standing on top of the vert ramp and you fall on your face. I'm like, you can break your neck and die. Like, you, you know, you fall on your arm and you dislocate your shoulder or something worse, you know, but um, standing on the start line with a bunch of those guys is like, it's just, it's just exciting. Like I'm like, oh, here we go. Like open the door to the pain cave. Let's go. <laughs> Let's just jump on the train and hurt. Um, and so I guess that's like part of it. You, you stand there going, yeah, like these guys are going to be hard to beat and you know it, but you're like, I can hurt almost like I've almost, everybody believes that they've trained themselves to hurt more than the next guy. And so it's just like, who can hurt the most boys? Like, and I think Jakob's incredibly good at that. He's just like off the front. He's like, I can hurt better than you guys can. I'm like, what man, you can <laughs> Suckers, we're all soft. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Oh, classic. 
I really, really enjoyed that podcast, mate. Um, thanks for coming on. And I just, um, I hope to see you there, you know, in that Olympic final next year. Yeah, thanks, mate. This should be, should be good fun, eh? Yeah, awesome. Awesome, man. Take care. Thanks again. And um, yeah, we'll stay in touch. Yeah, beauty. Thanks, mate. Check. See you later. <laughs>